When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman, and that was a marathon, a seismic Sunday week nine of the NFL season wrapping up. What a day. What a collection of storylines. Of course, this was sort of a separation Sunday for Humongous matchups in all four of the time slots. We had morning, we had the early afternoon, we had the evening, we had the night. They happened on two different continents. It was a whole deal. Four fantastic games all in their own right. We'll get to that. Of course, there were a million other storylines. That's the type of thing that happens on an NFL Sunday. We got new interim coaches winning games. We got backup quarterbacks balling out. We got rookies. We got it. it like I said, it's, it's a whole thing. We'll get to it, but... The story of the week was these four huge matchups again in each of the time slots. What we're going to do, we'll just we'll go backward chronologically. The day ends in Cincinnati. That's where we're going to start with the Cincinnati Bengals outlasting the Buffalo Bills by a score of 24 to 18. The Bengals as usual getting left for dead in September and rallying in a big way. They've won four in a row. They've won five out of their last six games. They are fully back. Joe Mixon slips out of Von Miller's grasp for a key first down there in the final two minutes, and the Bengals kneel out the clock against Buffalo. Five and three with another big-time competitor downed. Remember, three of these wins now have come against teams that I would expect you'll see in the playoffs, the Seahawks, the 49ers, now the Buffalo Bills a quintessential Cincinnati win. It felt like both sides of this roster really showed out against the Bills. Starts out with the offense and with Joe Burrow, very fast start. Bengals offense, 400 yards on the night. Joe Burrow gets them to a 21-7 halftime lead. And from there, the guy we talked about in the preview, Bengals defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo and his boys, they get the job done. The Bengals score just three points in the second half, but they hold the Bills. The Bills basically go... 50 minutes between touchdowns. They score on their opening possession of the game. They don't find the end zone again until the final three minutes of regulation. Lou Anarumo and his guys perennially underrated, holding another big-time opponent to less than 20 points. This time, it's Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, and company. 
that just can't seem to find enough points against Cincinnati. And that's that's where I want to focus this game. At the risk of making excuses, I'm not sure what else you want from the Buffalo Bills defense and what they're going through this season. We've already talked a lot about the, their losses on the defensive side of the ball. Matt Milano, Tredavious White, Dequan Jones. It gets worse against the Bengals. Linebacker Terrell Bernard leaves the game with a concussion. Veteran safety Micah Hyde goes out in the second half with a stinger. We can We can argue all we want. We can get as mad as we want about the Bills allowing 400 yards and and the Bengals having 21 points at halftime. But all things considered, I thought they settled in fairly nicely. I think if you say you're going to go on the road to Cincinnati and play Joe Burrow and it's Joe Burrow back to full health and looking like, like he usually does, you'll take 24 points. You're going to need to score more than 24 points to beat that offense most of the time. With what they've lost on defense, not saying it was great, but I would say it's probably enough considering the personnel. The story here, the Buffalo Bills offense needs to be more of a strength. Bengals defense is incredibly salty. Don't get me wrong, but to score on your opening possession and then struggle the way that the Bills did through the rest of regulation. True. Give. I mean, hey, everybody gets paid to do this job, right? The Bengals defense remains phenomenal, but The strength of this Bills team is always going to be Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, finding a way to score points. Just not consistent enough. There's going to be some some things that stand out in this game. Skip to the end. I think that's the two things that will get remembered. Both happened in the fourth quarter. Number one, unfortunately, it's rookie tight end Dalton Kincaid's week to be the scapegoat. He was one of the heroes against Tampa Bay on Thursday night a week ago. Scores a touchdown here against Cincinnati. He fumbles in the red zone at the start of the fourth quarter as the Bills are trying to mount a comeback. That is a, a score that changes the complexion. You know, maybe the the Bills cut the score to 21-17 there and have a chance to win this game. The Bengals take over instead. I think that's something that's going to stand out. And then the other point being Bills head coach Sean McDermott, a very bizarre decision to challenge an incompletion on the Bills' final possession of the game. Comes on a first down. So that's that's the first part. part. Josh Allen throws incomplete to the sidelines on a 9-10 yard gain on first down, ruled incomplete. McDermott challenges. I get it. Maybe there was a glove underneath the ball, but I didn't see enough to merit risking a timeout in that situation. Sure enough, the Bills don't get it. Again, all that means is that they're facing second and 10 from the Cincinnati 37. They go down, score the touchdown, go for two points like the nerds love to do there at the end to cut it to a six-point game but the failed challenge looms large because the Bills opt to kick off, which I don't blame them. I think off onside kicks have basically been killed by rule changes anyway. But without that timeout, the Bills just don't have enough opportunities to stop the clock. I mentioned at the top, Joe Mixon gets the first down. I'm sure Sean McDermott wishes he could do that over again. Not that it means anything now. The Bengals move into a three-way tie for second place in the AFC North. Get this. If the season ended today, the entire AFC North would be in the playoffs. All four teams in that division winning in week nine. As for the Bills, I just mentioned it. I hate to panic about a perennial playoff team, a team that still has a winning record, but this just highlights my ongoing concern with the Buffalo Bills, which is that at what point do your personnel losses start to become too much? 
the defense has to pull some part of the weight. And if the defense is this battered and bruised, how effective are they going to be at that? Especially with the, the bills being in the AFC in one of the toughest divisions in football with plenty more big time matchups to come. At what point does it become too much to overcome? Because right now against quality opposition against teams that have a shot to make the playoffs, the bills blueprint for success is to basically hope Josh Allen can put them on his back and play God mode 75% of the game or more. And he's capable of that. He's one of the best players in the NFL. But the the margin for error just doesn't add up. I don't know against the better teams in the league if it's reasonable to expect him to do that on a consistent basis. Bill's offense not cutting it tonight against a really good Cincinnati defense. And, and I worry that this is something that could become a trend. As you remember, the Bills have games against Philly, Kansas City, Miami, Dallas, all on the horizon. Of course, They'll win some of those games because Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs are singular talents. That's what they do best. And when they're clicking, very few teams can hang with them. But when it's not clicking, this is the type of stuff that can happen. I just worry at some point the Bills don't have much of a margin for error. I think that proved to be the case on Sunday night in Cincinnati. It's the Bengals that benefit from it. Four straight wins for Joe Burrow and the boys. Just before the Bengals and Bills kicked off on Sunday night, we had one of the most thrilling games of the day. How could it be anything else when the Cowboys and the Eagles kick off? And as if the the jump forward to daylight savings time wasn't evidence enough, doesn't it just, it feels like football season when you play one of these NFC East games on the East Coast and it's dark before the second quarter's even over. That's the stuff I like. What an amazing game. Between the Cowboys and the Eagles, my good friends, Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson had the call. Here is their takeaway from a thrilling Philadelphia win over the Cowboys. I'll tell you what, uh, what a game. Eagles-Cowboys usually is. Philly finds a way to win these games. They know how to do it. And Jalen Hurts is a warrior man. He took that shot to the knee. You know he's been wearing a brace, and he comes out and plays a great second half, and they find a way. Yeah, I mean, I, I think him dealing with that adversity, him playing through pain, playing through injury, but it's nothing new. I mean, he's been that since he's come here to Philly. He's given them a fresh life these last couple years. He's their leader. He's the engine that makes them go. And I'll tell you what, Dak Prescott in his own right. He was great. He was pretty special tonight, too. Just kind of ran three yards short. And uh, for Dallas, that seems to be the story of the game. Yeah, just a little bit short. Hurts and the Eagles outlasting Dak and the Cowboys. But sign up for that one every week. A thriller here in Philly. All I can say is, <laughs> what a game. And the way I know it was a classic is that I don't even know where to start. Just an absolutely chaotic, back-and-forth mess of a game, as everybody was hoping for between the Eagles and the Cowboys. Philly squeaks past their longtime rivals, 28-23. And I've I've noted before on the show, some of these games that we get so hyped up for have fallen flat. They've been well short of the expectations. Finally, we get a very hyped-up matchup that delivers on every bit of the anticipation. I guess I guess it has to start at the end because just what a chaotic way to bring that thing to a close. I have to imagine the flight back to Dallas was a brutal one for the Cowboys, reliving those 30 seconds and how close they were to a huge, huge win. It looked like the epitome of a meltdown from the Philadelphia Eagles. This team has been so good at closing out games this season. It looked like they were about to hand a win away. They pinned Dallas 
all the way back on their 14-yard line, down five with less than a minute to play. You like to think you can play out the string here with the way that they had pressured Dak Prescott, get out of t- get out of the game with a win, but no. A defensive pass interference gets Dallas to midfield. A roughing the passer by Hassan Reddick moves the ball even further. All of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, really, Dallas is at the Philadelphia six-yard line with 27 seconds to play. It took them like 20 seconds of game time to basically move the length of the field. First and five from the six-yard line, down by five points. Cowboys, you're sitting there thinking, I don't know how this is going to happen, but we got to like our chances. And the next three plays, the Cowboys counter with a meltdown of their own. They go false start, right tackle Terrence Steele gives up a sack to Josh Sweat. Unfortunately, a little bit of a theme from Terrence Steele, a rough day for the Cowboys right tackle going against the Philly pass rush. Clock's running, no timeouts left for Dallas. Rather than spike it, give themselves 13, 14 seconds to to decide what to do. Dak Prescott says, screw it. Somebody's down there. We're going for the end zone. Incomplete. That sets up a third and 21 from the 22 with five seconds to play. So you go from first and five at the six to third and 21 from the 22. Not a sequence that the Cowboys are going to feel good about. The pass to CeeDee Lamb eventually falls short. Just a, a fittingly messy crescendo to a game that defines the cliche game of inches like this. This is the teach tape for why football coaches say that stuff. I just don't know if you can typify it more than that because the, the, the reasons are endless. The, the entire reason Dallas was gunning for a touchdown here rather than just kicking a field goal to force overtime is because of a play that happened a few minutes earlier. The Cowboys score a touchdown to cut it to 28, 23. They go for two trying to get it to 28-25, and Dak Prescott gets it. Yeah, he reaches the ball right over the corner of the end zone, across the pylon, but wait, he steps out of bounds trying to evade a tackler literally a foot before he needed to. Not the best situational awareness from Dak Prescott. Cowboys don't get the two-point try, and that's why they're trying for a touchdown rather than just saying, hey, Brandon Aubrey, you've been automatic all year. Let's go to overtime. Half an hour before that, a Dallas touchdown is overruled on fourth down. Dak finds rookie Luke Schoonmaker at the goal line, reaches the ball across the line. Touchdown, Dallas. Oh, wait, no. His knee hits down before the ball breaks the plane. Turnover on downs literally at the inch line. It's, it's as close as you can get to the end zone without scoring. They turn the ball over on downs. Have I mentioned the Dak Prescott fourth down sneak late in the game that Nick Sirianni challenged to review the spot? Dallas gets it thanks just to a second effort. Have I mentioned the three Philadelphia fumbles on the day? The minute to play at Philly's own 31-yard line. Like, the margin of error was so slim in this game that it hurts to think about. And when you talk about this is why the details matter, this is why football coaches love to say all that boring, repetitive stuff, this is why. Maybe, I don't know, a foot and a half total ends this game in a Dallas victory, a huge division win. They go back to Dallas at 6-2, and looking like the toast of the league, taking down the mighty birds. Doesn't happen. The Eagles emerge victorious. They hold on to the best record in football. They are 8-1. and They've got a two-game lead in the division. All of that feels very, very important 
You got a brutal stretch coming up. They're at Kansas City. Then they're home against Buffalo and San Francisco. I think every win is going to count. Ironically, for as much as we've talked about the Philadelphia offense, and they, they clearly did their part, 28 points on the night. But the Philadelphia defense closed this thing out in a way that we've been looking for. Certainly not a perfect performance. I don't think it's fair to say they shut the Cowboys down the way that they shut down the Miami Dolphins a couple weeks ago. But keep in mind, Philadelphia went up 28-17 to halfway through the third quarter. Jalen Hurts and the Philly offense, from that point on, only ran nine plays. They basically went three and out for the rest of the game, really putting the onus on the Philly defense to stand up and and hold on to this lead. To be fair, they did just that. It, again, came down to the very thinnest margin, their backs against the walls, wall for most of the fourth quarter, but they found a way to get it done. I did think it was a super gutsy performance from Jalen Hurts. Felt like he barely had the ball for the last 20 minutes of this game, but it is worth mentioning Completed 75% of his passes in this game, 243 all-purpose yards and two touchdowns. Again, I think the Eagles were kind of able to dictate at least the the early going. It, it certainly looked like they were on their way to a much less stressful win right up until that, that defensive meltdown there in the final minute. But Jalen Hurts gutting through that knee injury. I know nobody in Philadelphia wants to talk about it, but took a shot right before halftime. Clearly was bothered by it. Very gutsy performance from Jalen Hurts to get the win. And look, on the flip side of this, I know horseshoes only or almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. I feel like I messed that up every single time. But at the very least, a far better accounting of the Cowboys than what we saw last time they were in this window. You know, it feels like an eternity ago that San Francisco blew their doors off. A much better performance here. Dak Prescott, 374 yards, three touchdowns. Despite being under duress all day, he got sacked five times. Again, some of that protection out wide looking like a real problem for the Cowboys in this game. Kept them in it, gave them a chance. I know, you know, the decision-making at the very end there, maybe you should have spiked it. Maybe, you know, try not to melt down so much there at the very end. Obviously, missing the two-point conversion, I'm I'm sure that's going to haunt him. But a very... Very nice accounting for the Cowboys. We're wondering all week, you know, can they hang with the very best teams? It's not going to count in the standings, but a much better showing from the Cowboys. My only question now is how far behind the eight ball are they? Again, they fall to they fall two games behind Philadelphia in the standings. Having that having that home game and that and that you know home playoff atmosphere sounds a hell of a lot better than having to go on the road and get through the playoffs. Season's only half over, and again, the Eagles are about to start a very hard stretch of their schedule, but I think the Cowboys are are firmly up against it now when you talk about winning the division, trying to have some semblance of home field advantage. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but at the very least, it was nice to see the Cowboys look like they belong on the same field as the NFL's very best, because that just wasn't the case last time. Just a, a phenomenal game. Continue to see how resilient and adaptable the Eagles are. Eagles have a quarterback who can make big plays when it matters. They've got an offensive line that lets them do pretty much whatever they want in crucial situations. And as we saw here, they've got a pass rush that can take over a game and make game-changing plays when it matters. This was just a ton of fun. I hope the next one, I believe it's December 10th, Cowboys-Eagles 2.0. Let's keep it going. Let's have every big game be as fun as this one. What a thrill ride in Philadelphia, but the birds do come out on top.
Let's take it to the early afternoon window to recap Ravens Seahawks. And you know, there were four big matchups between playoff contenders in week nine. Three of them came down to the final possessions of the game. Three of the four games decided by an average of six points. So a touchdown or less separating these teams, the thrilling stuff that we love to see from the NFL and the Baltimore Ravens just continue to not get the memo that this stuff is supposed to be thrilling. They smack down the Seahawks 37 to three, a good old fashioned crock potting didn't blitz past Seattle the way they did to the lions. Remember a couple weeks ago, similar circumstances, Ravens are up 28 to nothing, 28 to three before anybody can even settle in with their beverage and watch the game. Not what happened here. Instead, Baltimore just, they, they threw them in the crock pot. You know, if you're making a stew, it's that time of year. They threw them in there. They cranked the heat up for a couple hours and the Seahawks were fall apart tender by the third quarter of this game. I thought the most interesting sequence for here, because it was actually a fairly close game, maybe not a pretty one, but a fairly close game for most of the first half. And I thought the Ravens' first big miscue of the day is what settled this thing. And it's one of the more impressive things I saw on Sunday afternoon. Seattle had a chance. Classic NFL. They're getting outplayed for most of the first half. The Ravens are up 14 nothing. But they have a chance to climb back into this game. Seattle kicks a field goal. They make it 14-3 to before halftime. Ravens, maybe we'll go down and see if we can get some points for the break. Odell Beckham with a costly fumble with less than a minute to play. He fumbles in Baltimore territory. So lo and behold, this is how it always happens. A game that the Ravens had been in control of. Seattle has a chance to at least go get a field goal, make it a 14-6 to game. Maybe they can score. Get it, you know, get a touchdown, cut it to less than a touchdown going into the break, whole new ball game in the second half. Whatever visions you had of that happening evaporated into thin air in three plays. Kyle Van Noy sacks Geno Smith twice in a row. And on the second one, he rips around the corner, strip sacks Geno Smith. Ravens get the ball. Five plays later, Justin Tucker field goal makes it 17 to three. So in the blink of an eye, like I think I, I looked over to check on the score of another game, and before I could even refocus, the Ravens are reasserting control of this game. They never look back from that point. And by the end of the game, this is one a case of a game where you know you're riveted by it, you're watching every snap for the first hour or so, and then eventually your attention just starts drifting to other places because Baltimore had such firm control of this game. 515 yards for the Ravens for with 37 points. They hold the Seahawks to 151 yards. It's six first downs on the entire afternoon. Did Geno Smith, DK Metcalf, all those guys. The Ravens league best pass rush added another four sacks to the tally, and it never stops being impressive. You got guys like veteran Kyle Van Noy, who's you know bounced around the league for a few years at this point. Justin Matabike, the defensive tackle, continuing to impress. Best pass rush in the league. No sign of a TJ Watt or a Miles Garrett. Just six or eight badass guys all doing their jobs together. It's so impressive. It's the second time in three weeks that we went into the weekend thinking the Ravens were going to be part of a thrilling game, and it just wasn't interesting by the third quarter. This is a really impressive Ravens team, and, and the crazy part is it, it could have been so much better. Justin Tucker kicked a lot of field goals in this game. It wasn't until the Seahawks had kind of laid down that they started scoring touchdowns. They ran for almost 300 yards. 
on the afternoon. Like I said, it's a crockpotting. By the fourth quarter, there was just no real resistance. I'm not willing to do it because I don't want a bunch of angry Eagles fans on my case, like maybe the producers of this show. But I don't think it would be that hard to make the case that the Ravens are the best team in the NFL right now. I know they've got more losses, but when you can, when you consider the resume, the totalities of the teams that they've played, how they've played in those games, who they've beaten, how many points they've beaten them by, it stacks up well with anybody, including the Eagles. Like I said, not really willing to go there, but I do think you could make that case. Two big division games in a row, both of them at home. Baltimore gets the Browns and the Bengals back-to-back in the next two weeks. They've already established themselves as one of the very best teams in the league, but the AFC North race gets really interesting here in the next week or two. Can't wait to see it play out. Rolling right along in our Sunday six, a defensive battle took place in Frankfurt, Germany, early Sunday morning. Kansas City Chiefs edging out the Miami Dolphins 21 to 14. Maybe not the offensive explosion, the, you know, the pinball scoreboard type of game you would expect when you hear Chiefs and Dolphins. It's a little bit refreshing to see the defenses stand tall in one of these national standalone games. Chiefs raced out to a 21-0 halftime lead Sunday morning, and then their defense just put the clamps on this thing. Not not quite the same, but similar. A brutal sequence for Miami at the end of this game. They rallied, again, down 21 points at halftime. They scored all of the second-half points. They had a chance to tie this game or maybe win it, depending on how bold Mike McDaniel is. They get the ball down to the Kansas City 31-yard line, two plays that are going to haunt the Dolphins. Third down and 10 to a tongue of Iloa. Just misses Cedric Wilson Jr. Looked like a miscommunication. I think Cedric Wilson had the go ball for the touchdown that might have tied this game. Tua throws it short. Like I said, not sure if they're on the same page or, or what. Missed opportunity there. And then fourth down, game on the line. Fumbled snap. Tua falls on it. Plays basically dead before the Dolphins even know what's going on, and the Chiefs escape from Frankfurt with a defensive-minded win. And that's that's the theme for me. If you didn't know already, I think we need to have a conversation about just how good this Chiefs defense has been. I think they've been on the radar for a while now. It's been a season-long theme, especially since Chris Jones came back from his holdout. But in a game that everyone was watching in the morning, they really, they, they, I thought, announced themselves to anybody that still wasn't paying attention, holding the Miami Dolphins to less than 300 yards of offense, 14 points. Again, we know all about the Dolphins. We know everything they've done this season, 14 points. They sacked to a tongue of Iloa three times. He'd only been sacked 11 times on the day coming in, or excuse me, on the year coming in. So basically a quarter of the sack production the Dolphins have given up came against the Chiefs on Sunday. They hit him six more times. Miami just three of 12 on third down. A young Kansas City defense that is incredibly impressive. Obviously, the play of the game, Trent McDuffie, the young Kansas City cornerback, 10 tackles on the day. None more important than when he strips Tyreek Hill. If that wasn't good enough, He laterals the strip to Brian Cook, who takes it 59 yards to the house. That's how Kansas City gets up 21 to nothing. Stat of the day for me, Tua averaged a woeful 
5.7 yards per attempt, less than six yards every time he threw a pass, which is a yard lower than he managed against Philadelphia. Actually, more than a yard, 5.7 versus 6.8. So we talked a lot about how Philadelphia managed to limit the Dolphins a full yard less per attempt with the exception of one long touchdown to Cedric Wilson in the second half. Kansas City secondary put a lid on the Dolphins' explosive passing game. Definitely not the prettiest performance we've ever seen from the Kansas City Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes doesn't even finish with 200 yards, but I got to tell you, I would be thrilled if I was a Kansas City Chiefs fan watching what this defense is doing. Trent McDuffie and Jalen Watson, your young cornerbacks, look like players. Leo Chanel, the linebacker, looks like a player. Brian Cook scores what winds up being the game-deciding touchdown on the on the fumble lateral return. One of the most fun plays of the day. Mentioned Nick Bolton already. These are all young players that are ascending, that are turning your defense into a strength of this team. It should be refreshing to know that the Kansas City Chiefs can win games when they're struggling to top 24, 25 points. We've seen them do it earlier this season as well against teams like Denver, 19 points in a win, beating Jacksonville while only scoring 17 points. This is beautiful stuff for a team that knows how to play in the playoffs, and that's that's why I'd be happy. Look, I know we're used to seeing the Chiefs average 28, 30 points a game. We're used to them lighting up the scoreboard. Passing game, once again, looked really herky-jerky. I can't believe nobody on the Chiefs' offense caught more than three passes. Travis Kelsey completely shut down in this game, and, and you saw the same ups and downs from all the receivers that we've talked about a million times before. But my thing is this. As long as you have Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, you've got a great shot to figure that out. When you're the Kansas City Chiefs, you can afford to look ahead. You can say, hey, we're 7-2. and two. We're tied for the second-best record in football. We've got a chance in our next game against Philadelphia, get a chance to go against the best Super Bowl rematch. Right now, playing as up and down as they have on offense, the Chiefs own the AFC West. They've got a commanding lead, tied, again, for the second-best record in football. This looks like a team that's going to be hosting playoff football in Arrowhead once again. And for anybody else, I would feel crazy for getting that far ahead of myself, but not the Kansas City Chiefs. We we trust them to be there. I have every confidence that they will. And over the course of the next eight, nine weeks, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid are going to have an opportunity to figure out how to be more consistent on offense. But in the meantime, you've now got a defense that can hold this Miami offense to 14 points that has all these young, swaggy players building their confidence, you're winning multiple games without scoring 20 points, that is a positive. It would be worrying for anybody else because anybody else, I would say, well, you got to get to the playoffs first, not Kansas City. I can write them into the bracket right now. And so the rest of this season for them is, first of all, the fight for home field advantage. And second of all, tinkering with this offense and hoping that it's firing on all cylinders when things really start to get serious. That is a privilege that you have when you're the Chiefs or when you're a Chiefs fan. You can afford to think a month or two in advance. Not everybody gets to do that. But in the meantime, while your defense is doing this, that is a very exciting place to be, knowing that Patrick Mahomes has somebody that can help lift him up when he's not having his best day. Exciting times for Chiefs Kingdom. If I'm a Dolphins fan and I'm looking for a silver lining, I'll say the same thing. 
this defense is starting to look like the unit under Vic Fangio that was supposed to complement the Dolphins offense to a Super Bowl degree. Sunday was the first time Xavier Howard and Jalen Ramsey have played a game together. The Dolphins pass rush kind of came to life against Kansas City. Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillips both managed a sack. Bradley Chubb actually stripped sack Patrick Mahomes, set the stage for Miami's second touchdown. So all of this name power on defense, you're starting to see it. It's going to be fun to see Jalen Ramsey and Xavier Howard, if they can stay healthy, what they can do for this Dolphins defense. Like I said, the pass rush getting better. They hit Patrick Mahomes four times on the day. Obviously, the Dolphins offense sounds weird to say they still need to do more. They're great against the dregs of the league. Good for them. But against this playoff caliber trio of Buffalo, Philly, and now Kansas City, Dolphins are averaging just 14.6 points per game. I mean, that in a, in a league where you typically need about 22 to have a good shot to win, they're a full touchdown short. But it's nice to think that even with your offense this explosive, they might only need to score 2021 to have a shot against most teams if the defense is playing this well. So, yes, a bad showing for the Dolphins, I suppose, but admire the way they fought back, admire the way the defense played. I think this is a game that helps them avoid the fraud label. I think that's that's what was people were preparing to say. You go down 21 nothing at halftime, if this game ends like 31 to 7, yeah, we're having a different conversation about the Dolphins. We're calling them frauds, we're saying this, that, and the other. A missed opportunity for sure, especially with the miscues at the end of this. But this was a nice accounting for themselves, I thought, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Unfortunately for the Dolphins, it's a long month against teams that aren't going to move the needle. They've got a long wait before they get to go against somebody else with a pulse. So I don't know if they're going to slip the label of being pretenders just yet, but I feel a hell of a lot better about them after this game than Buffalo or Philadelphia, which I don't know. Each week on the Sunday six, we focus on an impressive coaching performance. And I don't know that we'll ever have an easier time doing that than we did this week. Today's coaching spotlight is brought to you by Verizon. It's the official private wireless network of the NFL's coach to coach communications. And look, I I mean, I, I don't know what all there is to say about the job that the Minnesota Vikings did on Sunday afternoon, head coach, Kevin O'Connell, offensive coordinator, Wes Phillips, quarterbacks, coach, Chris O'Hara Vikings getting a huge road win 31 28 over the Atlanta Falcons. Doesn't begin to do justice. What the Vikings did in this game in Atlanta, as if it wasn't crazy enough that the Vikings were starting a rookie quarterback against the Atlanta Falcons. Jaron Hall, the fifth-round pick, was the starter for this game. Kirk Cousins, Terrence's Achilles last week. The odds are already stacked against you when you do that. Then Jaron Hall leaves the game after taking a hard hit at the goal line in the first quarter. So, enter Josh Dobbs. Remember him? Traded to Minnesota on Tuesday evening, Tuesday afternoon. He plays the hero in Atlanta five days later. I'll I'll never get over this. I think just consider the logistics of everything Josh Dobbs and the Vikings have been through to come out 31-28 winners over the Atlanta Falcons. Josh Dobbs acquired in a trade with the Cardinals on Tuesday, which means his first day in the Vikings facility was Wednesday. 
which is the first practice day of the week in the NFL. As we come to find out after the fact, Josh Dobbs didn't take a single snap with the starters in practice this week. Vikings offensive line, center Garrett Bradbury, right tackle Brian O'Neill. They say after the game, he didn't take a single snap with them until Sunday afternoon after Jaron Hall got hurt. You can go find the viral video now on social media of Dobbs literally working on the cadence with Bradbury. Like, okay, this is this is how we this is what we snap on. This is our count. This is the tempo we want to use. Nice to meet you, by the way. I'm Josh. What was your name again? He spent the last eight weeks in Arizona learning their language, learning their terminology. Okay, this is what we call that play. This is our terminology for that concept. He's got five days to forget all of that and learn an entirely new language, an entirely new playbook. That's just to get ready to start for the next week because in a perfect world, he doesn't play in this game, win or lose, and he can get ready to start the next week with a full week of preparation, with a full week to go through practice and have all that stuff down. So with all that in mind, I bring it back to Kevin O'Connell, Wes Phillips, Chris O'Hara. They have to teach this stuff to Josh Dobbs during the game. In addition to like all the strategy that's going on in a football game, like keeping an eye on what the defense is doing, managing your timeouts, managing the clock, like all that stuff. Alec Lewis, Vikings writer for The Athletic, he noted on Sunday afternoon, Kevin O'Connell was translating play calls for for Josh Dobbs and mapping out the plays in the huddle. Like, while the play clock is ticking down to zero, he's basically saying, okay, this is, you know, oh, what's your wording for this? Okay, this is what we call it. This is what we want you to do. This guy's going to in-break right here. He should be there. We do it on this count. We do it at this tempo. Okay, uh, the play clock's at 10. You should probably go. I think the headset cuts out earlier than that, but you get my point. And what is the final result? Josh Dobbs, 224 all-purpose yards, three touchdowns. He hits Brandon Powell with 22 seconds to play for a touchdown that winds up winning the game. But the one that's going to stand out for me, just a winding, physical, crazy 22-yard scramble on a fourth and seven inside of a minute to play, almost gets sacked, dodges some tacklers, drags some guys out of bounds, literally wills his way to a game-saving run, and then a couple plays later, he hits the go-ahead touchdown. Obviously, Josh Dobbs himself deserves a ton of credit for this. He actually had to go out and execute everything. But what a tough spot for a coaching staff to be in. Literally teaching a player how to execute their scheme while it's happening. Quarterbacks typically get from April until September to learn this stuff. Josh Dobbs had five days to kind of look through it and a minute and a half to digest it on the sideline before he had to go into an NFL game. Masterfully, masterfully handled by Dobbs, by Kevin O'Connell, by the Vikings. O'Connell said afterwards that this was going to be special to him for a long, long time, rightfully so. Not sure we'll see a better coaching job in the NFL this season. Outstanding stuff. Last item on our Sunday six for week nine, I'm going to call the best of the rest. And I think it speaks to what a fantastic NFL Sunday we had that CJ Stroud falls into the best of the rest. Certainly 
played way better than that. C.J. Stroud, 470 yards, five touchdowns as the Houston Texans edge Tampa Bay, 39-37. to Look, I know we're only halfway through. Apologies to Puka Nakua, Jordan Addison, Devon Achan when he comes back from injured reserve, Bijan Robinson, all good players. I think we can go ahead and, and just give C.J. Stroud offensive rookie of the year today. We could do it right now if we wanted to. I know they're going to wait for the big award show before the Super Bowl at the end of the year. Feels like a formality at this point. C.J. Stroud already off to such an amazing season, but this is a real feather in his cap moment. Remember a few weeks ago, C.J. Stroud just barely missed the game-winning drive against Atlanta. The Falcons get the last laugh that day. He comes right back against another NFC South team and does the damn job. My God, C.J. Stroud, one of just six players in league history with 450 passing yards and five touchdowns in a game. He is just, he, he sets the rookie record, as you might guess, 470 freaking yards. Rookie record in a single single game for passing yards. Houston Texans have the their first time in franchise history. They have a trio of receivers go over 100 yards. Noah Brown, Tank Dell, and Dalton Schultz all go over 100 getting this win. It's one of those games where you can just read off stat milestones for five minutes. Don't get super lost in just the raw numbers, though, because what C.J. Stroud did at the end of this game, way more important than what the final stat line says, because it looked for all the world like Tampa Bay had stolen this game. Baker Mayfield puts him ahead 37-33 with 46 seconds to play. And C.J. Stroud's been good, but it's a big ask of a rookie to get downfield field goals. First of all, they're down by four. Second of all, they couldn't kick a field goal if they wanted to. They haven't been able to kick a field goal for most of the day because their kicker got hurt. Yes, he did have two timeouts in his pocket, but who cares? That's what timeout conservation is for, Sean McDermott, just so you know. It took C.J. Stroud all of six snaps to get the Texans downfield. The game winner to Tank Dell in the back of the end zone, gorgeous. An absolutely gorgeous throw. This guy makes big boy throws in his sleep. I knew he could do it. He did it at Ohio State. He did it masterfully against Georgia in his final college game. But to be doing it this regularly, this early in his career, if you saw it coming, good for you. I I, I, I never imagined him hitting the ground running in this manner. The cupboard looked fairly bare on the offensive side of the ball in Houston. The offensive line has been a wreck for most of the early going of the season. All kinds of different combinations in and out. Nothing has phased this guy. And this is just, I hate to call it a crowning moment. I mean, the Texans improved to 500 and we're only halfway through the season. Who knows where it goes from here? But if you are the Houston Texans or a fan of the Houston Texans, How can you have any doubt that you have found a franchise quarterback that you can build around for the foreseeable future? This guy's anticipation, his moxie, his swagger. Obviously, the arm strength speaks for itself. I thought he was a good player. I thought he was deserving of being a top five pick, but he has blown my personal expectations out of the water. I can't can't wait to see how much better it gets. None of that's even to mention the oddest part about this game. As I mentioned, the Texans played a lot of it without their regular kicker, Kaimi Fairbairn. So who do they turn to? 
not the punter, not a, not a specialist, not a safety, as is often the case. Backup running back Dere Ugumbawalai serves as the Texans kicker in this game, kicked a touchback. They let him kick a field goal. Backup running back hits a 29-yard field goal in the fourth quarter that actually put the Texans ahead. Just want to make sure that gets mentioned. C.J. Stroud deserving of all of the flowers, but what a fun game in Houston, and how excited must you be about the direction of their young quarterback and their young team? Josh Dobbs wasn't the only guy who made do under strange circumstances in the NFL this week. Antonio Pierce getting a big win for the Las Vegas Raiders less than a week after being named interim head coach after Josh McDaniels was fired on Tuesday. Joined now by Kevin Kugler and Mark Sanchez, who had the call of the Raiders' big 30-6 win over New York. And guys, I'm mainly curious. It's, it's one thing to get a win like this on a short week in a strange turnaround, but do you think Antonio Pierce can keep this going for Las Vegas? Dave, thanks so much. That's the real question. Can this be sustained? We saw a lot from the players this week for the Raiders, but look forward for me, Mark Sanchez. Can they sustain this after the initial surge of energy this week? Well, we felt that surge. The crowd felt it. But then by the start of the second quarter, you got to see it translate to execution on the field. And that's what we saw. Namely, this run game. I mean, they still didn't get the ball to Devontae Adams, I think, as much as he might like. However, the Giants did everything they could to take him away. They capitalized on the run game, getting Josh Jacobs involved. Even in the receiving game, had a couple receptions. But most importantly is the quarterback, Aiden O'Connell. I mean, very few, if any, negative plays. Took care of the football. Efficient all the way up and down the field. I mean, I can't say enough about this young kid and Bo Hardegree for putting him in the right positions, understanding, you know, he's he's a young kid making his second start in an emotional atmosphere. You got to sequence these plays appropriately, and I think they knocked it out of the park. Yeah, the reemergence of Josh Jacobs. You can speak to this because as a young quarterback, to oh, have yeah. a strong run game, what a benefit that is. Well, it unlocks everything in your offense. It opens up the naked game. It opens up your play actions, your boots, and it's he's just such a threat. It also gives your offensive line so much confidence and when they're dominating the line of scrimmage like that I mean there's nothing better for an O-line room they're really going to celebrate this one well in Las Vegas the show has opened to rave reviews we'll see if it can sustain but after one week the Antonio Pierce era has one win no idea where it's going in the long run but Antonio Pierce and the Raiders savor it Antonio Pierce woke up Tuesday after a rough loss in Detroit as the linebackers coach now he's setting the tone and representing as the face of an NFL organization. Love stories like that. Love guys rising to the occasion. The Raiders had 24 points at halftime of this game. So in one half of football with Antonio Pierce in charge, they outscored every game of Josh McDaniels' time this season. Eight games with Josh McDaniels, never scored 24 points, did it in one half with Antonio Pierce. Want to make sure to shout out Max Crosby. Raiders, not a great record. Don't know if they're going to make the playoffs, but he's putting up an NFL Defensive Player of the Year resume. Eight tackles, three sacks against the Giants. He's at nine and a half sacks for the season. He's going to be in the conversation. He deserves to be in the conversation. Worth noting, looks like the Raiders season, there's at least a bright spot. Maybe it's trending in the right direction. The Giants season from hell continues to get worse. Daniel Jones left this game in the first half with an apparent knee injury. The early report is that he might be done for the year. 
just a brutal, brutal season for the New York Giants. Doesn't seem like it's getting better anytime soon. But shout out Antonio Pierce. Shout out the Las Vegas Raiders for getting things back on the right track. Speaking of teams getting back on the right track, a total get-right game for the Cleveland Browns. They beat Arizona 27 to nothing. Not really sure what this says when you beat the worst team in the league who is starting a rookie quarterback, Josh Dobbs, off to help Minnesota. Clayton Toon starts against the best defense in the league, and it went like you would probably expect. Arizona didn't have 100 yards of offense in this game. Like I said, Maybe maybe not a benchmark win for the Cleveland Browns, but Deshaun Watson gets back in action, hooks up with Amari Cooper for 139 yards, a 27 to nothing win. You'll take it even against the worst team in the NFL. Browns, the only team that from the AFC North that played that we haven't mentioned to this point, they get a win. Everybody in that division winning, looking like a division where you're going to have to keep pace, so good on them for doing that. Another result I want to mention real quickly mainly because it's in a division where nobody is capable of stringing together wins. New Orleans hangs on to beat the Chicago Bears 24-17. to The Saints get five takeaways in this game. They feasted on Tyson Bagent, picking him off three times, recovering another two fumbles. Not a, not a memorable win at all. I don't think this is a win that is going to inspire a ton of confidence in the New Orleans Saints fan base, but they were the only team in the NFC South to get a win on Sunday. They lead the division by themselves at five and four. I don't know that you're going to need more than eight or nine wins to win this division. So every single one of them is going to count new Orleans getting a win in the South when nobody else could. I think that just about wraps it up for our show. A busy one, always more to come. Stay tuned. We got another episode of ask Glazer coming up at the end of this one. We will be back on Tuesday morning to talk Chargers Jets. One more game left in week nine. We'll get to the power rankings. We'll do the whole routine. We will be on to week 10 before you know it. A thrilling, long day in the NFL week nine. Loved every minute of it. Please go find us on Spotify. Go find us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, the NFL on Fox Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you digest your NFL content. We appreciate the support so much, y'all. I will catch you next time. Welcome into another edition of Ask Glazer with the one, the only. Jay Glazer, how you doing, my friend? Outfit tonight, I will be waitering at your local Italian restaurant when I'm done with this. Ooh, like... Or I'll be in Guys and Dolls in your local production. Either way, I, I look forward to it. Italian food sounds really good. Jay, we got a loaded slate for you here. Huh? Saw you talking about this on Sunday morning, and my mind was blown. The Las Vegas Raiders, mm -hmm. the fallout from the Josh McDaniel situation... What, what what's the latest on where that's going? What where they're headed after that decision? Well, you know now it's obviously Antonio Pierce. What Antonio Pierce decided to do once he got in there, a he addressed the entire building, which is kind of the opposite of you know Josh McDaniels' approach. He went and addressed everybody in there, trying to get everybody to realize, hey, we know you're all part of this. We're part of this. We're in this together, and that's kind of not the way that, that Josh had done it. Not kind of. It's not the way Josh did it. <laughs> um, but also like. Right out of the gate, he said, look, I'm going to use, you know, Josh Jacobs and Devontae Adams. And he pointed out Jimmy Johnson's teams, everyone knew Emmett Smith and Michael Irvin were getting the ball. Oh, well, they were still getting the ball. We weren't trying to be too fancy with right. it. So that was going to be an immediate thing he was doing also. Question from Andrew. Very. And, and by the way, he does have a chance to 
Do you think he's got a chance to... It depends what happens. I don't think they're going in with this going, okay, he's just going to be the interim and that's it. I think Mark Davis is hoping he brings some stability and culture to that place where he doesn't have to make another deal. And Champ Kelly is a, a very well-respected personnel guy around the NFL. So that also was a, a move. Um, I think it was a, a really good you know, move as far as um, having someone in there that you know has been in this position for a long time, at least in the personal you know, personal position for a while. It's interesting to think. I mean, the Raiders just had this situation play out with Rich Passaccia a couple of years ago. Yeah. It's interesting to see. But, but that's that. the thing. That's what they need. They need a culture guy. Yeah, for sure. They don't need the John Gruden's of the world or Josh McDaniels of the world. They need someone in there who's going to build up culture because the Raiders are so much stuff that happens when you're a Raider. It's not normal. They're like <laughs> Dallas Cowboys, the only couple teams. It's not, the Yankees, right? It's not normal. More stuff happens. There's more attention around you if you're a Raider than any other place. So you need a guy that's really going to just, man, he's all about ball, 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 culture, 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 but culture for everybody in the building. Interesting to see how that plays out moving forward. A very forgettable performance from the LA Rams without Matthew Stafford. Andrew wants to know what is the status of Matt Stafford's hand and, yeah. and where that's going. They got real lucky. And I say this, when Matthew Stafford got hurt uh, last week against Dallas, <clears throat> immediately they thought it was at least a year, like a season ender, like he tore his UCL. Oof. To the point where people on the Dallas Cowboys sideline told me they were like walking over and consoling him. And yeah, like, really? Yeah, yeah I mean, there's a lot of respect around the league. Sure, but, sure. Well, they, they thought it was done for him. Wow. And when they got the actual MRI back or scan back, it turned out it was just a sprain, not a break or not a torn UCL. So that sprain is when he can grip that ball again, but it really should be just a couple of weeks. So they should have him back after the bye. They're hopeful. And that, I mean, that makes them such a different team. Yeah, as obviously. We've yeah. Seen. So, okay. John wants to know, I love this question, kind of bridging the gap between college and pro football. Mm. Obviously there is a saga following Michigan football right now with the, you know, the, right. the signal stealing, whatever you want to call it, whatever's going on there. Does that hinder or or change Jim Harbaugh's NFL prospects if he wants to make a change? I think you still have to let it play out. I think you got to let it play out and see what he knew, didn't know what it was. What? Well, I, I think you have to let it play out. I don't think teams know the full. Sure. You know, everything. Seems like so we're learning I, something new. So I every think day, some so. teams will go. I don't care. That was college. Right. And other teams go. Oh, I care. That's uh, you know that shows you know a character. So I, I still think it has to play out. Something definitely something. There's not going to be a unified thought by every sure. team out there by but every owner. We, I mean, he's he's had flirtations with the league since yes, going back yeah. to college, so worth watching. A couple big injuries. Uh, question: Any updates on Debo Samuel and Justin Jefferson when they might be back? Yeah, Debo Samuel. They expect him to come back after the bye. Trent Williams as well. They should be back after the bye. Um, they're hopeful. Debo, I think, is, has a better shot. And Justin Jefferson, that part I don't know yet. I mean, that's a, a hamstring injury. Um, obviously, you know, they won. They're still in playoff contention, right? But I don't know how deep that, that hamstring injury was, to be honest with you. Seeing how well Josh Dobbs played yeah. for them, I'm sure, has a lot of people in Minnesota. What a, what a stud Josh Dobbs what a, is, right? what a What a, what a stud. story. Incredible, the way that he was able to do that. All right, I know I said last week we were done with the trade deadline. We, we can put it to bed. But I, I love this question from Chris. <laughs> Chase Young dealt to the 49ers last week. Says, how many teams were in on him? Because it seems like a third-round pick was pretty cheap. And I agree with that. There were a couple other teams in on him. There, there were. But I think it made more sense for a team like the Niners who may rent him for a year. And, you know, don't really have – Chase going to want to get paid, you know, a, a huge contract. Not like Nick Bosa, but yeah, kind of, you know, toward that range if, sure. if you could get it, right? And they, they can't do it for both those guys. Um, so I think a, a team like the Niners was perfect place for Chase Young. 
seems like the Niners are a perfect place for every yeah. good player these days. All right, I, question from RM that I want to wrap up with, which I think is an interesting thought. Thrilling game that the Bucks lose to the Texans, but it is a fourth straight loss. He wants to know, what's the benefit of sticking with Baker? Should they look at Kyle Trask? Should the Bucks consider a quarterback change? Any other division? I'd say, yeah, but no. Like you, right. You're still right there in Tampa. Absolutely. And that's why, look, teams called about trading for Mike Evans. And they're like, no, we're still in this thing. So they weren't interested in doing that. So you're still in it in the South, no matter what time you have here. And all you got to do is get in the dance at the end. That's it. So... Even if you have a losing record, you just got to get in it, and then anything could happen. And look, they know what Kyle Trask could do, right? They see him every day. They know what Baker Mayfield could do. So I, I think, you know, if they thought Kyle Trask would give us a better shot to win right now, we'd go over and do that. But I don't think they believe that. I don't know if I have a soft spot for Todd Bowles or what, but I, I, don't, I don't think the Bucs are a bad team. And to no. your point, I mean, eight, nine wins gets you a home playoff game. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I don't necessarily see the point. Yeah. Jay, always fun. Thank you, brother. You're doing chicken parm Appreciate tonight. It. What's the what are we serving? What's How you doing? <laughs> <laughs>